of the place And then you know you're a lion You don't have to be afraid of anything Cause you know, you know the truth and the truth The truth is love, yes it is Cause of what they said to you Or anything that you learn From a book or from the news It's not like that cause it's a thing It is something that you do Hello everyone, welcome to The Baseline with Jeremiah Hosea. It is Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm here in New York City and um, we're supposed to be joined in a moment by the great Ryan Christian of Last American Vagabond. We're waiting to get him on the line, so just uh, bear with us for a moment. We don't have him on just yet. He should be joining us soon. But I want to thank you guys, first of all, for last week's show. You guys uh, were the MVPs last week. Um, brilliant points made by every caller. Um, it was like pieces to a puzzle. And that's what this show is all about. This show is about the validity of every human person. I am so sick and tired of being put down. I'm sick and tired of my brothers and sisters being put down. I feel like we all have something to contribute. I'm so sick of this snobbish attitude that's being cultivated by a certain political class, I guess you could say. And um, we're going to push back against that every episode, every day. We have something to say. We have points of view. We have experiences that are valid. And it's unbelievable, this regime of fake compassion that jumps right into discrediting people and their firsthand experiences. It's quite uh, remarkable to witness, actually. And, um, you know, I think uh, it's really an incredible thing, actually, when you just ask somebody what they think, what their point of view is, you know? I don't want to hear necessarily a politician speak about education. Let's hear from a teacher, right? Rather than labeling a healthcare worker who didn't want to take an experimental injection and was so adamant about their body sovereignty that they lost their job, rather than labeling them a right-winger or something arbitrarily, why don't you ask them what their thought process was? And as Sujata Gibson pointed out, that was 34,000 people in New York State alone who lost their jobs for not complying with, as I will always call them, dehumanizing medical mandates. And I also want to apologize a little bit because I was so excited last week to just kind of share my perspective and tell you a little bit of my life story. And I did not manage time correctly in terms of it was totally unrealistic for me to think I was going to tell you my life story in 15 minutes. And actually, I wound up not even telling you a fraction of my musical credentials. I just kind of mentioned a few gigs that I was on, and my wife pointed out to me as soon as the show was over, why didn't you tell them you played with Gloria Gaynor? Um, that's one of my biggest credentials of my career. I was a bassist for Gloria Gaynor for about three years. She changes her bands periodically, so it didn't last forever, but it was an incredible experience. Played live on television, live on radio, um, Actually, no, I played live on radio with others. We played live on television in the case of Gloria Gaynor 
Uh, but who knows, maybe one of those shows was on radio too. But played with her in Brazil, played with her for the president of Panama, played on the Joe Suarez show. Um, I also didn't mention that I played with the great Vernon Reed. I can't believe I forgot to mention that. He's on my song, Crying Won't Help. Check out his phenomenal guitar playing on um, on that particular song on my website, jeremiahosea.com. And Vernon Reed, in case you don't know, he's the lead guitar player for Living Color, the legendary black rock band, Cult of Personality. He's the co-founder of the Black Rock Coalition. So those were two of my biggest credentials in my career that I didn't even mention as I was going on my little trip down memory lane. But um, I also want to mention I produced an album with and for the great poet Sharif Simmons called The Echo Effect. That album's actually available at Earth, not actually earthdriver.org. Needs to get back online. I'm having uh, some problems with that website. Got We have the domain name, but I have to get it back online. But jeremiahosea.com again has the album The Echo Effect by Sharif Simmons. And that album is something I'm very, very proud of. It's my highest credential as a producer, I guess you could say, because two of the songs wound up on an Emmy-nominated soundtrack, and we featured an unbelievable cast of musicians. It actually featured Kirk Douglas. They call him Captain Kirk Douglas from The Roots, playing phenomenal lead guitar before he was in The Roots. It featured my friend Ryan Waters, the guest on the first episode of The Baseline, Lead guitar player for Sade, Ryan Waters, playing blazing guitar before he was part of the Sade team. It features Swiss Chris on drums before he was musical director for John Legend for five years. And a bunch of other just phenomenal horn players, singers, super proud of that album. And I'm mentioning that because if any of you guys are into documentary um, film work of any kind, please get me involved. Give me an opportunity to do some soundtrack work for you. I would love to do that. And I would love to know if there was someone out there addressing some of these issues that we discuss on this show or any number of other pertinent issues. It would be such a cool thing to know, hey, someone was making a great documentary and I can do a great soundtrack for your great documentary, like something that people would say, hey, who made that soundtrack? So, yeah, I want to work with you guys. I want to collaborate in every possible way. Um, you know, there's a lot of work to be done, and I want to figure out, like I mentioned, and actually I realized, oh, I didn't mean to make a pun when I said that. How do we move the needle? Kind of a, I guess, I don't know if that's the, you know, it's a bit of a, a pun. It comes across as a pun when we're discussing this issue of forced injections and whatnot. But what I mean by that is, and this is something I want to really kind of confide in you guys about this issue, which is, you know, the whole social media thing, it's tacky. I'm not trying to be the king of social media, the king of Twitter, the king of Facebook. I advocate for real life lived experience. I'd much rather talk to you face to face than, you know, in a chat room or on a thread or whatever. But we do live in a social media world. There are practical sides of the whole thing. And, um, you know, it's kind of a strange situation that I'm in, if you could visualize this, guys, because I just broke 
500 followers. I've actually been gaining followers in Twitter spaces. People open up just these open discussion rooms, and I've been jumping in on the uh, various discussions and gaining followers manually like that. But it's a little crazy if you could imagine from my point of view. Steve Kirsch, who was a guest on this show, he has over 400,000 followers on Twitter. I'm here interviewing him at that time with less than 500 followers. Uh, Dr. Merrill Nash, she has 25,000 followers. Um, Jessica Rose, PhD, she has 90,000 followers. I believe Last American Vagabond has 50,000 followers. So I'm like, you know, a little guy relative to those figures who have larger followings. And I ask you, Please help uplift this platform. Please roll up your sleeves. I hate to engage in flagrant self-promotion, but that's what this is. I'm promoting this show to you guys right now. I'm asking that you tell your friends about it, that you download every episode if possible. If you could, download the Podbean app so you could download every episode of the show. Circulate the, the files of the show once you download them. Maybe you could send them on WhatsApp or Signal or email them to friends. But we want people to be aware of this show. So again, when we announce critical information, more people are aware of it. So when there's a protest, more people are at the protest. When we have to do some fundraising, we can raise a little bit of funds in one form or another. And as far as funds go, the best way to support this program is through subscribing to my Substack, Jeremiah Hosea, J-E-R-E-M-I-H, sorry, J-E-R-E-M-I-A-H-H-O-S-E-A, Jeremiah Hosea, two H's in the middle, jeremiahhosea.com is my website. Please download a song there. That's the other way that you can support this program. So one is through supporting the Substack, two is buying a song, even for just one buck. It's greatly appreciated. And number three is buy a chess lesson. I'm the founder of remotelearningchess.com. That was another thing I wanted to discuss last week, but my whole show, frankly, should be dedicated to chess. The virtues of chess, the history of chess is phenomenal. There's a lot of people who actually know an unbelievable amount of history, and they know zero about chess history, which is fascinating, actually. The whole development of the game and how it shows the development of human ideas and human ingenuity, it's really... Um, a remarkable game and I recommend that everybody learn how to play chess because it's actually a great investment in your health believe it or not to activate your mind in such a manner to get the neurotransmitters firing um, nothing beats chess and it's proven to fend off dementia and Alzheimer's and other degenerative brain illnesses because it's basically like uh, gymnasium for the mind. So everyone, please, if you haven't learned how to play chess, it's not too late to learn. Contact me for a lesson. If you mention this program, say, I heard you announce your chess lessons on the baseline. I want to give it a try. You get a discount. If you're really not up for a chess lesson, and I find that hard to accept, but if it's true, you're just not up for it, buy a chess lesson for a child. Introduce them to the game. And it's a great supplement to academics. It's a proven fact that chess players do better academically than non-chess players. It's one of the many, many benefits of the game. So those are the three ways you can support this program is through the Substack, buy music at jeremiahhosea.com, or contact me for a chess lesson. 
either go to the website remotelearningchess.com or just send me an email, jeremiahhosea at gmail.com. Also, thank you to all of you who have sent me emails. I'm actually trying to find in my email some emails that were sent to me that I didn't reply to yet, that I intended to. So everyone who's reached out to me, I appreciate that greatly. Don't hesitate to reach out again. Um, I need to dig up some emails. You know, I just get saturated with commercial emails and emails from various employers and various agencies. And I just sometimes I overlook an email or so. But it means a lot to me. Every word of encouragement, every word of insight, um, anything that you say to keep pushing us down the road is appreciated because that's what we're doing here. We're we're scraping and scrapping. And this program, this platform will be elevated to the point that people are aware of it and understand it to be a resource. And that's our goal here. So, you know, I don't know what's happened with Ryan Christian today. I don't know if there was a miscommunication. I thought we were really all good for today. I knew this day would come, actually. It's been sort of a a miraculous thing that I have these high-end guests and just like magic, they're on the line minutes before the show. But I knew eventually we would hit a bump in the road, whether it's somebody getting, uh, you know, stuck in transit somewhere or, you know, out of coverage or any number of various things that could happen. But you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm an improviser. We roll with the punches. And, um, you know, as a matter of fact, uh, If you want to call in and continue what we were doing last time, because we had a bunch of callers who didn't get a chance to get through, uh, go ahead and dial us up, guys. What's on your mind? We were going to talk about Israel-Palestine today. Uh, The Last American Vagabond has been doing incredible coverage of that, so I figured Ryan would be a great person to join us and to delve into that conversation. Um, But we also have us, and we have you, the listeners, so... um, If uh, you have some comments about Israel-Palestine, if you have any comments about developments with the forced injection campaign, the biosecurity state, which we are still fighting every day, if uh, you have something that you observed in your neighborhood or something you want to comment on from a previous show, by all means, call in. Hopefully, Ryan will join us before the end of the program. If not, we'll have him on soon. But... um, We're here today once again, and uh, we can always put our heads together and make a great conversation. So as far as Israel-Palestine goes, um, let me say, first of all, you guys might not know, but my mother is a black woman from Queens. My father is from Queens. My mother was a black woman from the Bronx. My father was a Jew from Queens. So yeah, I'm half Jew, everyone. And I have to say, as I'm going to pull the Jew card now and say, yeah, I'm a Jew. So um, my grandmother, who was a Ukrainian Jew, by the way, another hot spot in the world right now, Ukraine, which I've had the honor of visiting. Haven't been to Israel, Palestine, but I've been to Ukraine a couple of times. Um, My grandmother, who's a Ukrainian Jew, she didn't support the state of Israel. She just didn't support its existence. She thought it was a bad idea. She didn't think it was a good idea to move into um, someone else's land, basically, and claim it as your own. My father, who is a, a secular Jew, very proud of his kind of cultural heritage as a Jew, but not religious at all, 
had a personal, uh, you know, the option from his parents who were not particularly religious. Do you want to get a bar mitzvah? He's an unbar mitzvah Jew who, by his own uh, description, was eating ham sandwiches on the synagogue steps. Uh, my father was a psychoanalyst. He was a brilliant man. I owe a lot to him. Well, everything to him. I mean, just a, a wonderful man. That I'm very proud to have called my father, who was a, an activist, by the way, in the civil rights movement. And my mother points out very astutely, I think it's a very good point that she raises when she says, you know, when he went down there to participate in the civil rights movement, as compelled as he was by the conditions of black people in the world, um, or in the country and the world, uh, he was on the list, as my mom pointed out. When he went to the South, he was greeted by signs that said, no blacks, Jews, and dogs allowed. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not a proponent of quote-unquote anti-Semitism. And, you know, I'll tell you something else that's kind of interesting, and I've kind of shocked a couple of Jews with this analysis who didn't actually disagree with me. They just kind of raised their eyebrows and thought about what I was saying, which is my grandmother, my Caribbean grandmother from the island of Montserrat. She pointed out that, um, you know, first of all, in, in her culture, Jews were considered not white, that a Jew is a Jew. And that's where the term Semite comes into meaning semi meaning not whole and that was the problem with the Jews in Europe they weren't really white they weren't quite white so once again we see the ugly face of racism white supremacy focus of baseline episode six when we discuss codification with brother blue who's going to be my co-host next week as we talk to Stephen Newcomb after uh the holiday I call No Thanks Taking. We have an incredible guest to discuss all of that, the great Stephen Newcomb. But one point that I would like to make is that the Jewish diaspora is a diverse diaspora. The Jewish diaspora um, includes the Falasha Jews of Ethiopia. We don't see them represented normally as we discuss the attitudes and political opinions of Jews. There's also the Kachin Jews of India. When my mom was in the movie Jesus Christ Superstar many, many years ago, there was a big effort to not allow the Kachin Jews into Israel at that time. She was just telling me about that this morning. Um, of course, there's the Sephardic Jews, but it's the Ashkenazic Jews, the European Jews, who seem to dominate uh, representation of Jews in political discourse and um, of course, we need to make the distinction between a Zionist and a Jew, because the notion that all Jews are Zionists is completely wrong. It's a falsehood, and there's been a great deal of suppression in regard to suppressing the Jewish voices who are saying, do not do this in my name, do not do this in our name. There are many, many Jews by the thousands they have showed up at various locations, including here at Grand Central Station in New York City, saying we don't support this. So we always run into a danger when we deal with people in a monolithic way, when we say, oh, you're in this group and therefore I can attribute this, that, and the other thing to you. That's simply not fair, and it's simply um, not accurate. So we actually do have a call on the line. I'm very glad to say we have Juan from Florida on the line. And uh, 
what do you have to say today, Juan? I'd love to hear your opinion. What do you, what's going on with you? How are you? Well, I've, I've enjoyed your uh, voice over the years, and I uh, enjoy the fact that you now have a show that is demanding, very demanding to prepare everything every week. I don't know if I could do it. I did have a uh, radio time broadcasting years ago, and it took me about a year to get a voice that I was relaxed. That's what the, the station manager said. So I know I know it takes a lot. It takes an awful lot. People don't realize how much it takes. Well, you know what? I really appreciate you making that comment, actually, and you, you actually reminded me of something I intended to say, which I have not made clear to this audience, which is I consider myself destined for this spot, and while I do feel very comfortable, even as I speak to you right now, I am working on this. I am developing this program. Please don't think that I think I'm a hot shot who's like, oh, I'm so cool. I'm just going to have a radio show and show up every week and wing it. I try to while I raise my kids and teach my chess lessons and practice my bass. I'm trying to prepare for this show every day. I listen back to every show through and through and try to do a realistic critique of what maybe I should have phrased something differently. Maybe I should have uh, facilitated the discussion a little bit better here and there. So while I think I'm doing a good job and I think this is an awesome show, like my one of my favorite basketball players of all time, Manu Ginobili, said every great team could still be better. And that's the approach that I take, constantly scrutinizing what we're doing here, trying to make it better. And I really appreciate your understanding of the fact that, yeah, it's not as easy as you might think. Well, the thing is, people listen to a lot of shows on PRN, but a lot of them are not. They make a lot of mistakes. They, they don't. They don't have it together. They're busy. It's a, it's a, it's a full-time job. And if you don't have a staff, uh, there are mistakes made every day. I listen every day. And yet I listen for little gems and that's maybe the best we can get sometimes is we're digging for the truth, looking for a little gem, but then we have to put up with somebody's nonsense without getting into any names. But you know, certain producers on here are, uh, you know, they're, they're rambling. And I'm, I could ramble, too, a lot of times. So I know what it is. It takes a lot more than what each producer thinks. Uh, and so, anyway, you do the best you can. And I, I, you know, I, I just said I enjoy your voice. I enjoy your thoughts, the shows, the guests, the, the topics. Okay. The thing that bugs me now. Yes, let's hear it. About, you know, the topic of the day is this Middle Eastern or even the Ukrainian, or other parts of the world. Yes. Uh, the thing that is not discussed hmm. is the absurdity of the lack of people who want harmony. You know, there's no... Th th this idea is so foreign throughout the ages, this idea of harmony between different people, between different species. And so... That is something that has destroyed, uh, you know, many populations of human and non-human. The idea that we cannot, that we have to dominate. But that that's, you know, not discussed. Uh, the, the absurdity of what's going on in the Middle East. You know, people say, pick a side, pick a side. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I can't pick a side. Mm -hmm. They're both acting improperly and... People would say, well, they have the right to defend themselves. I say, that is not going to lead to harmony. Right. Harmony is based on the idea that two guys are getting ready to have a fight on the playground, and the teacher comes over and says, you know, 
let's calm down, let's do it a little differently today. Let's sit and talk and discuss this out. Now, if one of you is a sociopath and you're never gonna get along with your neighbor, that's you know a person who has to be separated, there's nothing you can do. You can't convince a guy who's got a brain defect from birth to be something other than what he is. You're not gonna go to a shark and say, let's go in the swimming pool together. Right. They aren't sharks. And there are people like that, but most people have some degree of empathy, compassion, understanding. Uh, and, and I think it's just not discussed this idea of harmony. I, I don't even know the right words, but it's something missing in the news. It's missing on all the discussions and talk shows. And I think part of it is people don't want to admit that many people have lower intentions or lower, lower viewpoints, and they can't get beyond that. They, they couldn't get it beyond it thousands of years for thousands of years. And they're still having trouble getting along with people. Uh, they don't understand, you know, one of the greatest things I, for me that I understood is certain people are mentally defective. They were born that way. I have them in my family. Now they can't help it, but the thing you have to do is you have to learn your boundaries with people like that because they will cross over and destroy, insult, lie, steal, cheat. And there's not, you know, you can't, you can't convince them that there's a better way. You just have to set a boundary. But with other people, you can talk to them. And I think the majority of people, you can have some degree of common interests and they're not sociopaths. They, they have remorse. They have feelings. Uh, like I said, the sociopath has no remorse. So the world is looking at, you know, groups of people, but they're not looking at how do we achieve harmony. Anyway, I'm talking too much. I'm rambling, but I haven't prepared any of this. <laughs> no, well, you're making a good point, and I hear you, and I think, um, yeah, I think you make a great point, and I'll add on to that, just saying, hey, look, folks, when you get into that realm, when you start dehumanizing people, you're going down the wrong path, guys. Don't do it. We're all human beings. When you start stereotyping people and coming up with an overly simplistic attitude of why it's okay to dehumanize people, it's not good, folks. Like I could tell you, as a man who resides in Harlem, in the black community, um, there's things that I see on a daily basis that trouble me very deeply. There's things that if you were to be an outsider to, who showed up in, in Harlem, you might say, whoa, what's going on with these people? There's something wrong with these folks. Who, you know, why, why are folks laying on the ground? Why are people cussing and carrying on in the streets? There's a lot of things you could see that you say, ah, this, is, this isn't good. But you know what? If you hang around a little bit, if you interact with people, you'll also meet some of the nicest human beings you've ever met anywhere in the world. And it's a strange paradox like that. I've been uh, just walking down the block with my son on the way to the playground, like a block and a half walk from, from the front door to the playground, greeted by seven different black men. How you doing today, brother? Hey, how you doing, little king? You know, complimenting me, complimenting my son, and just to the extent that by the time I get down the end of the block, I'm like, my heart's just overflowing with love. Like, wow, folks are just nice out here. And then within minutes, you can see vulgarity, violence, denigration. So, you know, I'll also add my uh, 
godfather was Palestinian, by the way, in terms of stereotypes. How vile to try to stereotype the Palestinian people as intrinsically terroristic people and so on and so forth. That's not true. My godfather Shamus was not only a polite man and a friendly man, he was a genteel individual. If you were a guest in his home, you would be treated in such a kind and elegant way. It was remarkable. So, you know, when you start stereotyping people, oh, they're all a bunch of terrorists. You're, well, it's so with it, hatred. It's, it's inaccurate. You know, with, with hatred, the people who, the mob that hates, their lives are a struggle. They're frustrated. They're angry. And so leaders like to channel their anger so they're not angry at the people who are causing the economic oppression. They want to channel it to some group that is causing trouble that blame the elite always blame someone else besides themselves for all the problems. So the angry mob says, yeah, we have to get angry. That's how we're going to solve this. They want simple solutions. And it really, the people who are controlling things who create crisis for their own agenda, it's a very hard concept for a lot of people to understand, but they're part of a much larger agenda that is controlling them and making their lives more difficult, using them, enslaving them, whatever you want to call it. And this hatred is used as a placebo for the masses to take their hate out on one group or another. The news media is full of this, hate this group, rather than harmony, uh, balance, being good for life, being good for all life. If, if you can't live on a planet with other life forms, then you have something out of balance. It's going to be very out of balance soon. And so you, you, the idea of balance is not respected. The idea of being good for life, all life, is not respected. And we see the consequences. So the best thing, you know, for me, seeing all this is I'm not going to be able to change the world uh, myself. But, you know, to do something good for somebody every day, like, you know, just even calling up and telling you you're doing a good job. Uh, it's an enjoyable show and you've got a lot of hidden talents that, you know, shall come forth just because of who you are. Uh, you know, do something good every day is the best. And the other thing is, you know, we live in a multi-dimensional existence, which is incomprehensible. There are things we do not understand, both good things and things, you know, that are difficult, but those things that are good are so beyond human comprehension that they allow us a place to go to in the worst of situations. And people don't understand that there are people who have very bad situations, yet they have a remarkable ability to get out of it somehow. Something, something triggers inside. Well, you know, you remind me of when you say that right there, you remind me of the fact that the highest rates of depression are in the wealthiest countries. There's a lot of people yeah. who live in poverty and sure they'd like to uh, improve their material conditions and I don't want to in any way justify those material conditions. I think everyone should have a decent, safe environment to live in. But amazingly, a lot of people in the worst physical conditions have some of the best attitudes you could find on the planet. And it's a lot of the first world people who get really spoiled and really cranky and upset about things that wouldn't upset a person who's connected to the earth still. 
Uh, we have another caller coming up soon. Juan, great, I really appreciate yeah, I appreciate you calling in greatly, and you made a lot of outstanding points. Please um, subscribe to my Substack if you haven't already. I hate to continually promote that, but no, it's no, it's hand true. in hand with this program. Basically, it's a lot of. Uh, I, I did take the time to organize my thoughts, and I would love for feedback in regard to any of the things that I've written. Okay, well, my my email says stone in it, so if you get an email, okay, uh, you can just. It's not garbage. Okay, I'll try, to, I'll try to remember that. But thank you so much, Juan, for calling, and please stay in touch with the program. We're going to have some great guests coming up soon, I guarantee it. We have uh, Brooke Jackson is coming up, guys. I don't know if you know how phenomenal that is, but <clears throat> Brooke Jackson versus Pfizer is one of the landmark events of this whole COVID period that we've lived through, and we're going to have Brooke Jackson coming up. Next week we have a nurse from Ohio named Danielle Baker, who is a vaccine injured nurse. Uh, I'm not gonna get into describing her horrific injuries. I'll leave that to her. But um, my uh, research as an, a citizen journalist has taken me down the painful road of now I'm getting in contact with the vaccine injured. And it's not theoretical anymore. These folks have been injured. They've had their rights violated. And uh, we need to uplift them, and they deserve justice. So thank you, Juan, for calling. Um, please stay thank in you. touch. And we have Ed on the line. And I'm um, always interested in what E – or sorry. Uh, yeah, right. We have Ed from Queens on the line, my brother from another mother, my Queens <laughs> brethren. Hey, I was wondering where you've been, Ed. I'm like, man, I, I want to hear from Ed. <laughs> Well, you know, because my girl is going to have already, you know, hasn't been, hasn't been too interested, I must say. I've been, I've been, I've actually, I've been talking to her on a personal level, making sure that she's going through her, her illness all right, and she's doing very well. I appreciate um, that, and I appreciate the report she, back. She told me to tell you that to get her cut ready. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, we, we already have a big sum of money, and it's set aside, so... Um, you know, we're just waiting. I said, like, in a, in a special account. So, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're you know, making an effort with the show. I've listened to you. I've also, uh, I'm also uh, uh, down with your Fed stack. And, 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 you know, you're doing a good job. I mean, you're, you're doing a very good job. I commend you for your efforts. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, speaking about the... Uh, Con the new conflict or the ever everlasting conflict in the Middle East. Yeah, let's hear Israel it. Also, and outlet and and, I, and as everyone should know, Ed brings a military background when he discusses these matters. So, you know, we we should bear in mind if you don't have a military background, well, that's a perspective that you should be pretty curious about. So, yeah, I'm very curious. What are what are some of your thoughts here, Ed? What what should we take into consideration as we play this well, scenario? Well, I was actually. I was actually in Gulf War One, towards the end of my service, and uh, that that area of the world has always been a, a bone of contention ever since they discovered the uh, black gold. So that being said, Israel plays a major part in destabilizing that section of the world, so that the Western powers could maintain the crude oil production and crude oil, and crude oil control. Right. Between between the Arab Emirates and and uh, keeping out Iran and I in Iraq and keeping a leader from rising out of that region to consolidate that region and to control that that crude oil. So uh, anything that you dealing with the Middle East, you have to keep that in mind. 
Israel has been propped up. Uh, if, if, I don't know if you can, people can Google the, the battleship Liberty when uh, two American uh, uh, sailors were killed by an Israeli attack, and the Israeli claimed that it was a mistake. There have been several times when Israel, from the giving of nuclear weapons to South, uh, to South Africa, to the fact that they, they're the only Middle Eastern country that actually has a nuclear arsenal, and that is uh, overlooked by the, United, by the UN and by the United States. So that being said, I mean, you know, you've got to look at it. The two-state solution was always viable, but uh, the, the Israeli Knesset, the, the Israeli rulers didn't really want that. Uh, from the time they, they came in 1967, they vowed to push the Palestinians into the ocean. Right. So there's always been a bonus contention there. There's always been a military stronghold there. And that's a, that's a strategic area of the world that the West is not going to let go of until they're forced to do that. And I think at this time, what I'm seeing personally, more than ever, the Palestinians are allowed to have a, a word. The people are, people are more aware of the Palestinian plight. The fact that Gaza was an open-air prison. And to be totally honest with you, on, a, on another level entirely, this might be Israel's doing. They might have influences in, this, uh, in these attacks as far as the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yep. So they, this is a very convoluted situation, and, you've got, and, and the main sufferers, as always, are the common people, the children, the, the, the mothers, the fathers. The, they're the ones that suffer throughout all of this, and that's what we should really keep pertinent in mind. The common man is what's suffering, because the people that are pulling the strings, they ain't feeling, they're not feeling anything. Yeah, I agree. And actually, you know, I'd like your take on something that I was hoping to present to Ryan Christian of Last American Vagabond, but I'd like your thoughts, Ed, on a concept that was shared with me by a good friend, very politically astute individual, just pretty well-versed in history and, and world affairs and whatnot. And he pointed out to me years ago, and it made a lot of sense to my mind, which is that this unrelenting, um, uninterrupted commitment to Israel by the United States is based on a World War III scenario. I think we're all being sort of misled in perceiving this as an ethnic conflict or a religious conflict. No, it's based on military concepts. It's based on the United States potentially fighting Russia and or China, and we have determined that we need a nuclear-armed European-style state in that tumultuous region of the world to fight off all our little adversaries who would be siding necessarily with our enemy in a World War III scenario. So from based on your understanding of things, does that ring true at all? Oh, definitely. I mean, like, like you said, I was in the military. I had a TSBI, a top secret security clearance. And the Middle East has always played a part in, 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 uh, in the Pentagon strategic projections. Um, like Israel is a vital country there. It's a democratic country, relatively speaking. It's a, it's a Western-friendly country. And it, like I said, it's been allowed to have a nuclear arsenal. It's the only country in that region of the world that has an active nuclear arsenal, which is not inspected by the UN, which in which they don't, uh, which officially they don't acknowledge. But I believe the last time that I 
uh, heard about it, it had over 250 to 300 nuclear devices at the ready. So, I mean, to keep from a, from a geostrategic standpoint, Israel is meant to stay there to keep that region in play. That's why they, the person who asked me, that's why they got rid of Qaddafi, because he, he was a potential leader out of that uh, out of that region that was going to unite that part of Northern Africa. Um, uh, and the United States will do anything to stay on top. Uh, we were looking at, at a projection where China and Russia and the BRICS nations could align and empires end. And I believe, I believe, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I believe that we're in the end of empire of the United States. I mean, the, the United States is not, does not have the good guy role that it had in the past. People are starting to see the truth with the advent of the Internet and more information being prevalent and being uh, readily consumable. People are starting to see that, hey, the United States is not a good actor in this. Israel is not a good actor in this. And the, and the, the, the opinion worldwide is starting to change. And uh, I believe in the next 50 years, we're going to be looking at China. We're going to be looking at Russia. We're going to be looking at the BRICS nations. We're going to be looking at a geopolitical shift in world power and how the resources and how domination of the world is played out. And the United States is not going to be a major player in that, in that future. Yeah, decline of empire. You've been saying it for a while, and I agree with you. It's observable. I mean, we're looking at the deterioration of the major American city. We're looking at um, increased rates of drug use, suicide, uh you know, I mean, what the average American teacher has to deal with in a classroom. I mean, you have teachers who are dealing with things on a daily basis that were unconscionable, something that you would never see in a, in a 30, 40, 50-year career of teaching are now insane things that teachers are dealing with in classrooms on a regular basis. There's a lot of indications of this decline of empire you've been describing, brother. Yeah, well, you, this is what you get. I mean, nothing's what you get when nothing's what you do. The American people myself included, are, are, are liable. We, uh, the price of, of democracy and freedom requires eternal vigilance. And we fell asleep at the wheel. We let, we let these lackluster leaders come into play to where now leadership is a joke. It's like a, it's like a professional wrestling freaking show in Washington. I've been using that people analogy for people. years. And Donald <laughs> Trump was part of WWE at one point. So, hey, hey it's a crossover <laughs> there you go. at this point. You know? As I'm saying, we're, 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 we're in a, a, a comedy, a comedy of errors. Well, you know, they call it tragic uh, comedy is the term, tragic a, comedy. A tragic comedy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but hopefully some, sometimes things have to break down. I'm, I'm a mechanic by trade, and sometimes you can't fix a machine or you can't fix a system. You got to let it break down and replace it. Hopefully we're in that, that mode where we're going to replace it with something better. Yeah, I agree. I, I hope we can, brother. Well, I really appreciate your call today, and please stay in touch with the program. And uh, always great to hear from you, brother Ed. How's Queens doing? Thank by you. By the way, hey, we're still there. We're still there, hanging on. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> hanging gonna lie, on, man. I miss Under our Queens. Mayor, our Mayor Bling over here. Oh, who just got <laughs> raided by the FBI? <laughs> Listen, I've known Adam for when he was a cop, so I I, I know his history and. You know, I, not for nothing, it's not surprising me. Yeah, I'm not, not, I'm not, surprising. I'm not surprised either. <laughs> but thank you, brother. Can't wait to talk to you again soon, and have a great weekend. You too. Enjoy the holiday, sir. You thank too. You. Thank you. Peace. Oh.
Um, I'm not sure if we have another call. You have Eduardo from Brooklyn. Oh, excellent. We have Eduardo from Brooklyn. Uh, please join us, Eduardo. How are you feeling today? How's the Republic of Brooklyn today? Hey, good afternoon, Brother Jeremiah. It's good to speak with you, and, and congratulations on your efforts to continue to put out the good word out there. Um, I am very grateful that you share additional insights into your background, and I will be mailing, emailing you some information that I think that you and your ancestors will find of very revealing. Mm, interesting. So, yes, so I just, when you see my name, Eduardo, and Ed Angie, you would uh, see that that is coming from me. Now, regarding the topic that you propose on the table, you know, we have been, I mean, I live a couple of blocks away from Cron Heights, and uh, I can tell you that there is a palpable tension in the neighborhood, and rightly so, uh, everybody is very uptight at least in the Crown Heights area. And it's unfortunate that we don't seem to understand that these are events that have been put forward by secret societies, by the deep state, by all the societies that have a vested interest in keeping this going and the unfortunate victims in this particular scenario are practically not important to the powers that be and the casualties that are being perpetrated upon the Palestinian nation what is really painful for me is that there, there doesn't seem to be an outcry to the extent that it will be very noticeable. I know there's some pushback, there's rallies going around here and there, but if you consider the amount of damage and destruction that has been going on in, the, in Gaza, I am having difficulty, brother Jeremiah, understanding why there is not enough, not more people protesting this on both sides. Uh, I mean, these are human beings. Well, you know what I have to say? I have to say, brother Eduardo, and I hear you. I totally hear you, and I don't disagree at all. But, you know, as someone who's been to many anti-war protests myself, they don't really get publicized properly. The war machine, which also owns the media system, they don't show the vast objection to the policies that they're trying to push. So I remember uh, during the Iraq war, everyone knew, hey, weapons of mass destruction is, is nonsense. You're trying to start a war here and you're just drumming something up to create an excuse to attack a sovereign people. And there was a million people at a rally in D.C. that I attended with, uh, you know, people of all different backgrounds, a million people. I mean, just people as far as the eye could see on a cold day. I mean, you would have thought the cold would have discouraged at least half of those people from not showing up. But people showed up 
And just like in the Vietnam War era, there was massive protests and it all gets reduced to a symbolic gesture. You know, I think, I don't know if there's any proof that all the vast protesting of Vietnam actually stopped the war. It seems like the war planners and the war profiteers just said, oh, okay, this ball game's over. And, you know, people protested for years. The war went on for years and years. And I don't know if our protesting does anything. And I'm not telling you not to protest. I, th I support everyone who's protesting. And if you're in a small protest, well, more power to you. I've been in small protests myself, protesting for Gary Grant, uh, who was known as um, Shaka Sankofa, who got executed unfairly in Texas under Governor George Bush. I was out there. People might have thought I was crazy, but I was in the right. And there's a lot of cases like that where people are protesting, they're standing up, but they don't have political power. And the war profiteers aren't just going to take their ball and go home, right? So how we actually make the system respond to our demands, good question, good discussion. I think that's when we get into the territory of tax strike, general strike. I've said for years, we can bring the system to its knees through non-participation, right? Because if there was a revolutionary act that you could do, if you could, pardon my language here, I don't want to, I know the CIA is listening, I have no intention of assassinating or killing or harming anybody, but yeah, you know what, heck, I would assassinate somebody if I thought it would make the world a better place, but I don't know of a single person you could assassinate who wouldn't be replaced by another monster who could fulfill the same corporate or political agenda, right? So maybe, first of all, instead of thinking of somebody to, to fight, we should just stop the system by not participating in it, which is a point that I raised recently on social media as far as the two-party system, what I call the two-party illusion. Um, it really troubles me that people will vote for a lesser of two evils candidate or who they believe to be lesser of two evils and then when atrocities are committed they don't seem upset by it they don't take responsibility for it they just say oh i voted lesser of two evils and they give themselves a big old pat on the back and take no responsibility for the policies that are enacted in their name and i have a big problem with that i think we should literally stop voting for these evil people if they're the, if there's two bad options don't pretend that one of them is good don't vote or cast a protest vote, but don't vote for people who are going to commit genocide and then you're not even going to challenge them on the genocide that they committed. You're going to continue to pat yourself on the back and say, oh, I did my civic duty. Yeah, you did your civic duty sponsoring genocide, and we should own up to it. Absolutely. Well said, brother. Well said. And I have also been in quite a number of rallies and protests, and uh None of my family or friends even got to hear about it because it was censored. Everything was covered. Uh, I, I will say one thing, though. If you look at the activism that occurs in Europe, where you may have not just a million, but millions of people shutting down a city, that's the kind of protest that would literally change the policy and stop this madness from going forward. And I think that here in America, for the most part, we are too comfortable. 
I think that we have been pampered intentionally. Yeah. It's like a friend of mine said or a friend's father said years ago, people don't fight revolution for cake. For bread, maybe, but not for cake. That's right. So I think that one of the problems that intentionally I keep seeing that is that for the most part, people have a roof over their heads. They got food on the shelves. And they're too comfortable. They're too pampered. They're too spoiled here in America. Yeah, I agree with you. They don't we really, got to be tough. They, we got to be. I, I believe know. in promoting toughness. Yeah, toughness is a good virtue. You know, everyone is into all this flowery stuff. And I like that too. But there's also something called being tough. And I think it's important. Absolutely. For, for the struggle that we have ahead of us. You know, Brother Eduardo, it's great to hear from you. We have another caller on the line, and I'd love to. Uh, here. Absolutely, absolutely. Give, but, give sir. But Much I look forward to you. Thank you, brother, and I look forward to your email and look forward to talking with you again soon. Likewise. Much, much blessings. You too. Peace. We have Gino on the line from the Bronx. So that's great. We have Brooklyn, and now we got the Bronx. Speaking of toughness, those are two tough boroughs. So how are you doing today, Gino? Good to hear from you. Hey, Brother Jeremiah. We only have two minutes, I'm warning you. We're we're up against Uh, the clock. Yeah, I see the clock. I won't be able to share one-tenth of what I wanted to. But so for now, I'll just say uh, congratulations on getting the show. Thank you. I remember your phone calls from Utrecht's show, and I said, there's a man with potential. It's coming through, and I know there's much more to come yet. Thank you. So that's that's, uh, And sharing sharing about your family, I I thought that was a really good balanced approach because when I do see the big brush approach out here, uh, that's dangerous, and that's a lack. It's a uh, it's a lazy brain talking that way. It's a muscle up there that's pretty uh, jelly-like. I agree. So that's uh, that's I guess with the time that's left, that's what I could basically say. Other than pursuing uh, why all these things happen and why our greatest uh, recorded, documented spiritual seer this country ever produced doesn't get the notice and the recognition he deserves to show that. There is an invisible being. It's real. We're a part of it. It's called the soul. It's functional. It's practical. It's not spaced out out there only. It's here too. Mm-hmm. And there are people who manifest that. And because we don't do the physical body temple cleansings, we don't meditate, most of us, and we don't share without looking to get something back, is why we and most of us don't uh, accentuate those promises offered in the good book. So, the time is very limited, I know, but I'd like to pursue this with you a little more. And, in fact, I'll, uh, I'll give you a buzz later. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to get you up here to the gardens. So maybe we could pursue that off air and you see what the validity of what I got to say from personal experiences and my evaluation and, and studies of the last 48 years have to say that I think is a big factor in the that's missing in the Jimmy Dore show, although he had a great letter from Albert Einstein from 1948 saying why he he was he saw terrorist elements in the burgeoning uh, government even then. Uh, but the reason is because we don't have this approach that's practical, and and that uh, and that the Jimmy Dore and Joe Rogan and Graham Hancock and uh, all the uh, all the rest out there they don't seem to know. The uh, what to say? The Henry Allen, the Babe Ruth of spirituality in America, and that this guy was documented, uh, you know, so well used by Tesla, Edison, Franklin Roosevelt, Woodrow Wilson. Predicted the Dead Sea Scrolls that the experts for two thousand years didn't think were important. They found them two years after he died, and what he said is what they're saying. So why we don't know this figure? 
That's why, like Dr. King said, a people without a vision perish. We are not pointing a spotlight on the people who are the antidotes to this horrendous, terrible disaster that keeps continuing all over the world with the sadistic, greedy, selfish, hungry ghost mentalities that exist. Yeah. And they're a small minority. Well, I hate we to cut to you off there, Gino. In the other direction. Gino, I hate to cut you off, but I we know, are running fine. out of time. You, you gave a very inspired statement there, and I appreciate that. And actually, you know, you touched on something that I want to cover on this show moving forward, which is, and, and maybe email me about this. I want to ask you guys in the audience, where are the hell holes on planet Earth? We know about what's going on in Gaza to some extent. Um, Armenia, there's a terrible genocide. The Congo. Um, what is the list? Let's put all these hell holes on the table and say we want all of these situations resolved all at once. We demand our brothers and sisters be treated like human beings moving forward and, and, and deal with the horrors that are going on in the world comprehensively and not like they're isolated little incidents when they're part of an ongoing human catastrophe that we're playing out. So, yeah, if anyone can think of someone mentioned Sri Lanka, I'm not perfectly aware of what's going on in Sri Lanka. Walking in Harlem today, there was a big protest for Senegal. What's going on in Senegal? So where, where are all these human rights abuses going on? And we, the people of the world, say, hey, we know what's going on, and we demand an end to all of this. So on that note, I thank you all for listening. Um, please follow me on Twitter. Subscribe to my Substack. Share this program, um, Podbeam, Podbean, I'm sorry. Uh, the Baseline is the program. And we're out of time, everyone, but I'm going to see you next week. We have a great guest, and we have a bunch of great guests lined up that I can't wait to share with you guys. So have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Stay in touch, and peace and love to everyone. Mm -hmm.